Thanks for joining us for a classic edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. Several years ago, this weekly program was recorded at Michael's home studio in Franklin, Tennessee. We got to meet many of Michael's friends and hear about the work of God in the Nashville community and around the world. Though some of the details about guests and ministries may have changed, the powerful lessons from the Bible and the reality of God's faithfulness told in these conversations stand the test of time. This session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn more about the CSB translation online when you visit csbible.com. Listen now to this program from the archives. This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Our program this week, as always, comes to you from Franklin, Tennessee, where we've assembled, I think, a pretty interesting program. Today with some wonderful guests, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. I, I look down the list. We've got uh, two doctors and a missionary and uh, some great music. So uh, we have some, uh, some real authority and some real creativity here. How about that? Well, let's yeah. fill in the blanks there. The doctors are Dr. Larry Crabb, yes. first of all, who will join us. We'll start a multi-part series with Larry today yep. in the program. Uh, let's see, Dr. Dr. Calvin Seerveld. Yep. And, and introduce us to Calvin. Well, uh, Calvin is has been a good friend for a long time. He is uh, really the person that got me interested in the lament literature, uh, but he has been a, a great encourager to a lot of people in the arts for a long time. He's a professor of uh, aesthetics, uh, emeritus professor at uh, um, a Christian school up in Toronto. I know you've learned a lot from him, haven't you? I really you? have. Yeah. He's, he, and and the, if, you, if you hang on and listen to it, to the program, you're going to hear uh, just a brilliant man who really loves the Lord. He's coming up in the second half. The missionary is yes. Larry Warren of yes. African Leadership, one of our go-to guys. Yeah, here. who really knows everything that's going on in Africa. He's going to get us up to date. And in addition to all that, Michael, you'll sing for us in the program today. So as you see, yeah. it's going to be a full hour. Yeah. Glad to have you along this week. I think we can start just before we bring Larry Crabb into the studio with a song from you. Uh, we're asking you to sing the opening song this week, By Your Name, mm-hmm. and uh, Michael Card here at the piano. Go ahead, Michael. Well, that's the first song I ever wrote. Oh. Yeah. So uh, I was in college, and, and you can tell from the lyric, things weren't going so well. It's kind of a l- lament. Little did I know how much lament I would get into, but uh, it's based on a book that I'd read, uh, the Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Mm-hmm, of so, course. Well, now you got my attention. Yeah. All right, Michael Card in the studio. I failed again to make the mark I've lost my way once more I tried to do it by myself Like so many times before But now again I turn to you I'm hungry and confused By now my strength's dissolved away And I feel like I've been used If you leave me to myself, oh Lord It will always be the same It's you who'll have to hold my hand And protect me by your name Whisper me a song I 
times like these, I ask myself, how could I have ever strayed and forgotten all you've given me and lost sight of all you paid? If you leave me to myself, oh Lord, it will always be the same. It's you who'll have to hold my hand and protect me by your name. It's you who'll have to hold my hand and protect me by your name. Michael Card here at the piano in the studio. Michael, I think that song leads us right into our conversation with our guest today. That's right, realizing that it's not about us. Hmm. And uh, Larry, you've always helped us see... Uh, just what that means. There's nothing more important than to recognize it really is all about him. We're just born narcissists, and so (laughs) God's working to get us out of that. Dr. Larry Crabb, it's been a while. Welcome back. I'm glad to be back with you guys. This is fun for me. Back in the chair right here in the studio with us. This will be the first of several conversations over the next several weeks with Larry. We're going to be looking at uh, his new book. Uh, I hope you'll stay tuned and and listen into the conversation. It's called The Papa Prayer. We prayed just before going on the radio here together. Yeah, we did. And you prayed something that um, I was actually listening when you were praying. <laughs> <laughs> I knew God was. Yeah. I wasn't sure you were. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was, that's a safe assumption. Uh, but, but you referred to the fact that uh, you believe that God was going to really enjoy his time with us. And, yeah. and after we prayed, I said, do you really think that's true? Yeah, I really do. I hope it is. <laughs> I hope and I trust and I believe, but I, I I want you to help me to understand how that's true. Well, two things occurred to me. One, I remember driving home as a from church as a kid. My dad would often turn to mom, and I'm in the back seat of the car, mm-hmm. 10-year-old kid. And probably 50 times I heard my dad say, I think we gave God a good time this morning. Wow. And I remember as a kid saying, what on earth are you talking about? It never even <laughs> occurred to me. Give God a good time? I was bored silly, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> And, uh, and I, th- I thought about that a lot. Can we give God a good time? Lewis has this great phrase that we can become an ingredient in the divine happiness. Wow. Isn't that an incredible phrase? And I, th- I think it's true <laughs> that, 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 that God lost his kids in the fall, and Jesus restored the family to the Father. And then the Father, because of his essential being that just loves to give— but he had nobody to give to because we took took off. So, so the other side of the creed is that our purpose is to enjoy him forever. There, there's another side to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a it's a mutual deal. Wow. We enjoy him forever, and for some reason that uh, only the word grace uh, describes, he enjoys me. What what is there about me to enjoy? That's the fair question that all of us yeah. are asking about ourselves, not yeah. just about you, Mike, <laughs> yeah. but, about, yeah. but about all of us. What is and, and the answer is the only thing there is about me to well, there's two things. One is because I bear the image of God, I have the capacity to enjoy Him, mm-hmm. and He gave me that capacity, and so God enjoys whenever I enjoy Him, and I think He enjoys us the most when our darkness is the deepest and we don't quit on Him. When we hurt mm. the most and we still wait for his glory to be revealed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge thing. But the other part of it is, because I'm a Christian, I believe that God has put within me a, a new appetite, a new a new heart. Mm. There's a new life within me that can look at him and say, wow. And God gets pleasure out of us looking at him and saying, that's my dad. Mm. Wow. I'm glad this came, this came up because this leads us right into our conversation about the Papa Prayer. Absolutely. Your book and yeah. prayer is that yeah. intimate relationship with God. 
listening, talking, listening again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the one of the reasons I wrote the book was because after being a Christian for fifty some years, fifty five as of now, I realized that prayer was probably the weakest part of my spiritual journey. You know, I knew how to go to church. I knew how to put a buck in the collection plate. I knew how to do a little preaching and teaching and writing. But 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 prayer just eluded me. It just didn't make any sense to me. I was frustrated by it. And um, and one of the thoughts that that I read from one of the great old timers was that prayer is not about getting more from God; it's getting more of God. Mm. And and that that kind of struck me. And I thought, man, I'd like to get more of God. I wouldn't mind more from in terms of blessings. I have a lot of blessings. I want to keep them coming. Mm-hmm. And I, I like all the blessing stuff. But but the idea that, that that maybe asking God for things really isn't the center of it. Maybe it's like a Christmas morning. Do I want uh, all the presents there, whether Dad shows up or not? Or maybe the real present is Dad. Well, I, I've been uh, thinking about the laments for a long time in your your book, even though it didn't. I don't know if you used the word lament in the whole book, Shattered Dreams, but it really was a book about lament. Absolutely. And um, I think what I saw from the laments is that the the real answer, consistently through the laments, most especially someone like Job, is. The answer to the lament is God. God shows yeah. up. That's the answer. Yeah. And he gives us himself. Ask your hardest questions and you find him. Yeah. You don't find the answers that you're after. You find something that he thinks is far better. Yeah. And it takes us a long time to agree with him, but he's right. But I can see that happening in, in, the, in the, 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 the big experiences, in the big, the big valley experiences. But can that, can that happen every day? Can that happen consistently? I mean, I know, I know we're not going just for a feeling for, or for an experience, but... I mean, can that is that a sustainable part of a relationship with God? And when you say that, you mean the experience of that ex- God? That experience of Him giving me Himself as the answer. It depends on what you mean by giving him, giving me Himself. I'm not sure giving me Himself um, has a lot to do, at least not consistently, with a sensed presence. Uh-huh. Uh, I think a lot of the time there really is a darkness. Have you read the recent book about Mother Teresa? Mm-mm. It's an amazing yes, I've been book. been following that. Oh right. my! I just bought it a couple days ago. Is it her notes? It's, it's her letters that yeah. she wrote. Yeah, that I've she heard about begged it. to have her superiors burn, hmm. and because uh, she's expressing her doubts. She's expressing far more than her doubts. She's expressing fifty years of darkness. She talks about. She says, "People see me smiling, and my smiling is is a cloak covering my emptiness." And for fifty years, <sighs> she said, "I have had no sense of the presence of God." And I'm not sure God calls all of us to that particular kind of thing. I'm glad he doesn't. I've had a sense of God now and then. But more often than not, I don't. Yeah. And I believe God calls us to wait in the darkness. You know, Isaiah 50, where God says, when you're in the dark, uh, don't light your own fires, but but trust in the name of the Lord. And the word trust doesn't, I don't think, have to do with necessarily experiencing God, but knowing enough of his character to say he's worth waiting for. Hmm. So I think that in the everyday experience of life that um, I think we're, we're pretending more than we are being realistic, that we're pretending to have an experience of God. Yeah. And it's kind of contrived, maybe. Yeah. And I I think your greatest strength is always your greatest weakness. And I think one of my greatest strengths as a Christian is that that's always been so blatantly obvious in my own life. And unfortunately, I've judged other people for the same thing. So I'm good at that part, (laughs) you know, the, 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 the gadfly part. But the other part, where where you're helping us to go that that's the part I'm not so good at and that part is 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 seeing beyond uh the the shallowness and the hypocrisy and the yeah. fact that most of the people I know most especially me when I pray it I'm hoping that he's hearing it but I'm not having that that 
I'm not having the experience that you're talking about. Not that it's about experience. Yeah, well, I say, uh, yeah, but there, there, you know, the, the word experience can be used in two ways. One is something that is that is felt in kind of a sensual way, mm-hmm. and the other is a reality that you don't feel, but you know it's true, mm-hmm. and you know it, and you know it in a very personal, intimate kind of a way. You know that it's true. I, I spent last week, um, I, I had a, a couple hour conversation with a woman who lost her husband. And um, she didn't get married until she was in her 40s, uh, married for five years. After two years, he got cancer, went through a three-year miserable time of uh, cancer and then died. And she told me just a few days ago, she said, you know, um, in the last six months since my husband died, I have had no experience of God whatsoever. I don't sense his presence in any way. And what we came to after a couple hours of discussion um, was that in the middle of her darkness, she, she said, you know, I, I, I just love him so much. And I said, Why? You know, he hasn't given you what you want. He hasn't given you mm. a healthy husband. He hasn't given you a sense of his presence. And I said, isn't that the miracle that you still love him and you actually want to serve him and you're willing to wait because there's some reality in the core of your soul that you just can't shake? Yeah, even and if I he slays me, I still serve even him. Even if he slays me, yeah, yeah sure. There's yeah. still some, there's, there's a reality about it, but it's not a felt reality. I think one of the biggest things to me is that we just have to recognize that God meets us where we really are, not where we pretend to be mm-hmm. and not where we wish we were. So do we need to discover where we really are? Is that a part of it? And that's uh, one of the most difficult things for us to do, but it's crucial if we're going to learn how to pray. This is the starting point. That's the red dot. That's the red dot. Okay. That's the red dot. You go into the mall, you see a directory, and it has a red dot that says, you are here. Mm-hmm. And I often begin my conferences by saying, all right, let's. what's your red dot? And I remember talking to a bunch of Christian leaders a while ago, and a major Christian leader, after we spent some time exploring where we are, he raised his hand. This is a major Christian leader. And he actually was in tears. And he said, I've never asked where I am, and I'm terrified to go there. I'm afraid I'm too empty. I'm afraid there's a darkness there beneath all the persona, beneath all the activity, beneath all the busyness, all the preaching, all the, you know, all the good stuff that we as Christians do. But where am I really? Larry, in your book, The Popper Prayer, you uh, you talk about this, coming to God with a lack of pretense. That's really yes. step number one, exactly. isn't it? Is, exactly. Is coming as we are, acknowledging as, as fearful as we can be, looking at ourselves Well, the way. stupidest thing in the world, let's just forget about <laughs> sin or faith, the stupidest thing in the world is trying to hide something from someone who's omniscient. <laughs> Leave it to Mike. <laughs> no. I mean, right, I mean is that, that's not rocket science. One of, the, one of the things Lewis says, he, he says that prayer is taking part in the process of being known. It, mm. isn't a, it isn't a question of God is informed when we tell him where we are. Uh-huh. It isn't God saying, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, he always knows where we are. But when I, take, when, when, when I let him know where I am, not uh-huh. that he learns anything, but there's an intimacy that develops when I take off all the pretense and acknowledge I'm in a bad mood. I'm not even crazy about you this morning. I, I have mm-hmm. a headache I, or I'm feeling great. I'm so blessed. I'm so happy in Christ, whatever, the whole gamut. But just be exactly where you are. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, "Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Yeah. Take my yoke upon you." And the way Peterson finishes that passage, he says, "And when you come to me, I will teach you to live in the in the rhythms of the unforced rhythms of grace." Hmm. I mean, is that possible? Could I, could I actually live there? I think I've tasted that a time or two, hmm. but man, I'd like that as a norm. How do you stay there? Yeah. Well, through prayer, maybe, huh? Well, I think so, because prayer is all about relating to God. I. You know, my, my, I think my best times with my wife, married for 41 years, we had a bunch of bed, uh, best times and a couple of hard times as well. We're, we have struggles. She's repenting, so we're doing all right. Good, good. I'm yeah. glad to hear Praise that. Praise the Lord for that, yeah. Well, we just happen to have Rachel here to talk about that today. <laughs> Pretty obvious she's not here. I wouldn't say that. 
but um, but yeah, I remember you know so, so many times we'll just be sitting in front of the fireplace and and sometimes we'll be saying very very little, but we're together. There, there's a relationship. But if all I did was ask her for stuff, I said, "Honey, can I have a, cu- a cup of coffee? Honey, could you do this for me? Honey, mm-hmm. could you make this phone call for me?" And while you're at it, if all yeah, <laughs> if all I did was ask, what would happen to our relationship? Well, so mm-hmm. much of our relationship with God is just asking. Dear God, we come to you now, and we ask you to do this. Dear mm-hmm. God, we come to you. We ask you to bless our ministry. We ask you to bless this. We ask you to bless that. And maybe God is saying, you know, could you maybe could you stop and just relate to me? Mm-hmm. So the Papa prayer is what I call relational prayer which has to be the foundation of all petitionary prayer. Mm. Come to me. Come to me. And rest. And rest. Yeah. That's an invitation that I could respond to today. How about you, Mike? Oh, yeah. Well, is this something that uh, the spiritual direction that you've done in the past has brought you to? Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, You know, I'm a kind of a disillusioned psychologist. I've um, never cured anybody, and I've been at it for 40 years, you know. (laughs) Although I could cure you. I mean, I have to kill you, but... uh, (laughs) But she said, not ethical, I can't do that. Every, everybody that's finished with my therapy is a mess. And, and I think I've come to realize that, that, that good conversations, you know, psychotherapy, counseling, whatever word you want, good conversations are not about fixing anything. It's, it's about meeting God in the middle of everything. And that's what I like to think of as spiritual direction. So the issue then is spiritual direction includes prayer, the disciplines, all that good stuff. And that's where I got thinking about prayer. So grateful for the time we got to spend with Dr. Larry Crabb talking about his book, The Papa Prayer. And we need to let you know that Larry went home to be with the Lord in February of 2021. And there is a new website with more of his teaching. We've posted links with more about how you can order a copy of the Papa Prayer and find Larry's legacy ministry called Larger Story. It's all on our podcast program page at michaelcard.com. Michael, we invite questions from listeners here each week in the studio. We sure do. And I'll give the address again. It's in the studio at michaelcard.com. That's the email address. So let's take time to answer a couple here in the program today. We have one. Actually, the printer came out pretty small on it, so I'm going to ask you yeah. to read this one. Yeah. You'll have an easier time than me, I think. I've got it about two inches from my nose <laughs> okay. here. Yeah, this is from uh, an Episcopal curate. Dear Michael and staff of In the Studio, yesterday was the first time I listened to your show. And what a blessing it was to me. I'm an Episcopal priest who works as a youth pastor. Listen what he has to deal with, Wayne. This weekend, I dealt with a girl who suffered physical abuse, a teenage pregnancy, a youth group member who was fighting cancer, some conflicts in our youth group, and other struggles that just made me cry out to God. That's a week, isn't it? And it makes me think, how many other pastors are struggling with this Mm -hmm. as much? Hearing of the situation in Iraq, and especially the Sudan, helped me to put my own ministry challenges in perspective. He heard about it on the pro- on our program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in Nairobi, Kenya for a short mission um, when the Sudan peace deal was signed in January 2005, and I have known Sudanese refugees and those who minister to them. Uh, so our suffering brothers and sisters in Sudan are close to my heart. I thank God that your radio show and gradually other Christian ministries in the U.S., are finally starting to speak out more on behalf of persecuted and suffering Christians in Sudan. Your comments on how honest questioning in our faith and crying out to God are valid and biblical are so true and a perspective that is too often lacking. We need to affirm this for the sake of our youth who grew up among many faiths or no faith at all. For them, dogmatic attitudes that don't allow honest questions or struggles can too often turn them away from the Christian faith rather than leading them to Christ or deepening their relationship with him. Good comment. Yeah. So thanks for uh, writing that in, brother. Yeah, no real question there today, but it just a uh, real connection with this listener was made uh, 
first time they listen to the program. So. Yeah, and 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 finding out, and obviously this is a man who has some uh, biblical education, but finding out that it's okay to cry out and lament. Uh, it's amazing how many people don't realize that the Bible, the Bible invites us to to offer up our our uh, our hurts and our confusion as an act of worship. Mm-hmm. Here's another one. This one is a question from a listener. And it's printed in extra large type, <laughs> yeah, so. so I can read it even. All right. I got, I got you. Uh, this listener uh, shares about listening to the podcast and the deep respect they have for you. It has a question. Uh, As Luther brought the theology of grace and the Bible back to his generation, right. I've long felt that the prophetic voice that God has sent to our generation in American Christianity is that of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. It seems we so conveniently step over and water down the powerful teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, and I've always been deeply troubled and confused by this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called us back to the true path of discipleship, to the real following of Jesus in ways that involve cost and sacrifice. Am I crazy, or is there a shift beginning among evangelical Christians toward restoring a theology of true discipleship? Mm Yeah, I, I think God is do, is moving, and I, I'd like to believe that He is doing something. I've I've got uh, really a, a, a unique connection with Bonhoeffer. I got to know Eberhard Bethke, who was Bonhoeffer's confessor. Uh, Bethke actually married Bonhoeffer's niece, Renata, and uh, he came to a Western when I was there, and I got to pick him up at the airport and drive him around for a week. I've never heard you tell this. Story. Oh, it, it was a it was an amazing uh, experience for for someone. I was in love with Bonhoeffer's. Uh, writings and so to get to uh, spend that much time with a man who actually knew Bonhoeffer well uh, was was a life changing thing for me mm-hmm. and uh, and I agree that Bonhoeffer is the the person that speaks of discipleship and the and the way the church has sort of eroded um, the, the idea of discipleship because Bonhoeffer was speaking in Germany during World War II when the Nazis had taken right. over the church in in uh, in Germany. So he knew something about cost and sacrifice. He did. Obviously. He, he is a martyr. He gave up his mm-hmm. life for mm-hmm. his uh, his belief. Do you think we're ready in the church at large in North America to uh, to accept that uh, true discipleship that involves cost, a real, even maybe the cost of our life? Well, I I hope we're coming to that place, and I think we can learn from believers uh, elsewhere in the world, especially places like China, um, that that our our faith is worth dying for. If it's worth living for, it's worth dying for. And uh, when persecution comes, uh, I trust and hope and believe that the Lord will make us ready for it. Yeah. And I'm not talking persecution, you know, uh, people laughing at us or, right. or getting a hard time or maybe not having our tax, you know, mm-hmm. deduction for mm-hmm. whatever anymore. I mean, real persecution. You and I have both met pastors in places like China that really do go through this kind of right. sacrifice. Prison, 22 years Christ. in prison, yeah. And um, all they want to talk about is Christ and what uh, what how he came to them during their stay yeah. in prison. They don't want to talk about their suffering. Yeah, well, and from our good friend David Hunt, we learned that they say, uh, you know, persecution's good. We don't pray that the persecution will stop. We just pray that it won't be so much that it will shut the, the church down completely. As we've said many times, that's one of the things we can learn yeah. from uh, from our brothers and sisters yeah. in other places who are going through uh, deep time, deep troubling times. Well, thank you for that question. Yeah, it's a, it's a stimulating question. I think. Yeah, it is. And, and and if anybody wants to go read Cost of Discipleship or Christ the Center, uh, that would be two good uh, works of Bonhoeffer to start with. All right, talk about discipleship. You've got a song. The song is uh, "To Follow You," mm-hmm. and I think this fits right in at this moment. So, can I ask you to sing that right here in the Ab- studio? Oh, for absolutely! Us? I'd be glad to. Yeah.
Sometimes I grow weary when the road's getting long. At each point of my weakness, you make me strong. And when doubt takes over, I remember it's true. I left everything to follow you To stay safe or to follow You asked me to choose But how could I fail When I've got nothing left to lose Without your call I couldn't make it It'd be impossible to do to leave everything and follow you Everything to follow Everything to follow Everything to follow you Sacrifice. I gave up my home, but you left paradise. And what you call me to offer has really set me free, because you left everything to be with me. So with joy I embrace a faith that calls me from home. And I will cling to your promise that I am never alone. And with each passing moment, I'll keep hoping it's true. I left everything to follow you. Everything to follow. Everything to follow. Wonderful song to wrap up this first half of the session, and there's more to come. We hope you'll share what you found in this podcast with your friends on social media. We feature programs every week and offer an extensive podcast archive of current and classic editions, like this one from the Molin Studio in Nashville. And if you'd like to know more about Michael's writing and music ministry, visit michaelcard.com. As the country reopens from COVID, there are many new opportunities to gather in person. Online, you can see updates on concerts and conferences where Michael will be teaching and performing. Again, look for all the current events at michaelcard.com. We're always glad to hear from our listeners. Post a comment on the Michael Card Music Facebook page or send your comments, questions, and song requests via email to in the studio at michaelcard.com. 
Coming up, conversations with Larry Warren and Dr. Calvin Seerveld and music from Michael all waiting for you after this important word in the studio with Michael Card. Here's Michael with a word about the Christian Standard Bible. I'm glad we're partnering with the CSB. I got to see firsthand the way godly scholars work together on this Bible translation. Now I get to use the CSB in my study and teaching. There's so many types of editions available. I hope you'll find one that will help you get serious about reading God's Word. And this month we're featuring the Disciples Study Bible. Search for The Disciples Study Bible at csbible.com and read more about this unique study tool. Find a reading plan, study notes, and spaces to record your growth as you learn to follow Jesus in deeper ways. When you purchase this powerful discipleship tool, type in the studio without spaces in the promotion code to receive your 30% discount from LifeWay. We are called to be disciples, and this CSB edition will light the way of your discipleship journey. Search for The Disciples Study Bible now at csbible.com. And we are back in the studio with Michael Card. Coming up in a few minutes, Dr. Calvin Seerveld will be here to talk with us, somebody that you've grown to admire very much. Yeah, we're going to look at the Psalms uh, with Calvin, who has a, a whole new approach to voicing them, so that'll be a great time. Michael, you have a song called We Are Not Scattered Strangers. I think of that song every time that I think about uh, Christians in other parts of the world and how we are connected through Christ. Mm -hmm. We're going to focus on Africa here for the next few minutes. We try to touch base with uh, different places at different times. And Mm -hmm. our Africa correspondent in the studio is Larry Warren, who's back with us today. Uh, I, I don't think we give you a paycheck for that job, though, do we, Larry? No, but it's it's a good job. It's a <laughs> lot of perks. <laughs> you you got back from Africa not that long ago. When when was your last trip there? I got back in July. And I was there a couple times this summer, mm-hmm. and uh, we're really focusing uh, in Kenya and Uganda these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the last trip. When you think of Africa, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, poverty. Probably two or three things I think of. Uh, I think of orphans. I think of uh, Islam. I think of AIDS. Mm-hmm. Which is why we have so many orphans there, right? That's right. That's right. But then I also think, you, didn't, you know, I don't have to think long to think about the movement of the Holy Spirit in, uh, over the continent. In our lifetime, uh, there's been tremendous uh, revival and spiritual development of that continent that's now the the— Really, the population center of our faith. There are more mm-hmm. Christians in between uh, the equator and Cape Town than any other geographical mm-hmm. place in the world. I know you're committed uh, not only to getting resources; that's almost secondary to, to just making sure that the the Africans themselves have uh, the education they need and the training they need to do what Christ has called them to do. It's not us giving them everything, is it? No, it's not. They're at a, in a stage where in, in missions, you know, we start with relief efforts to meet the physical needs, and then development comes behind that. And obviously, as Christians, we want to do what we do in the name of Christ. But also, for Africa now, one of the crying needs is to train church leaders, uh, men and women who are leading churches but have never had access to formal training. And so that's primarily what we do in at African Leadership is— uh, train men who are already pastoring local churches 
but have not had access to training before. Well, speaking of um, uh, relief, uh, how about Darfur? Where's 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 that now? Well, uh, the the war situation is better. Uh, just yesterday uh, was the fourth uh, of what they call Days for Darfur, and in more than twenty countries, people gathered uh, to raise awareness mm-hmm. about Darfur. And the reason is because this this week. Uh, countries are sending off their representatives to the United Nations. Uh, This week, the United Nations General Assembly convenes in New York, Mm -hmm. and on September the 21st, they'll be talking about uh, Darfur. There was a resolution last year to send in 26,000 troops, and it looks like they're really going to finally get there uh, by the end of the year. Uh, There is still conflict. They say it's about uh, 500 people a month that are being killed Mm-hmm. Uh, by the Janjaweed, but two years ago it was 10,000 a month. 400,000 people have already died. Now they say the challenge is there are more people dying in the refugee camps. From yeah. starvation yes. and disease than dysentery. Yeah. You know, that's the largest relief effort in history. There are two and a half million refugees of this uh, war in Darfur, mm-hmm. and uh, about 1.5 million of them are being served by some international organization. But that still leaves a million people mm-hmm. that have no access to relief. How do you handle that? I mean, you have such a heart and such a concern, and yet you see such a huge need that you can't possibly meet on your own, even with the support of African leadership. I mean, how do you, how do you reconcile that? Well, some of it I can't reconcile. Uh, much of it uh, goes into the file of the mystery of God. Uh, we're not in charge. We're responsible to respond based on what we know and what we've been given. Mm-hmm. And so it keeps me motivated. Uh, the needs of the world are not the mandate. The Scripture is the mandate. But the Scripture does say, minister to the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the strangers, the sick, and those in prison. So we do what we can with what we have. And then, I, then it's a real issue of our trust that God's really in control, mm-hmm. even in the midst of suffering that we can't, uh, we can't stop. I've seen that confidence in you whenever you've come to the studio here, Larry, and it would be easy, don't you think, Mike, to just kind of get uh, in a despairing kind of mode and just say, well, uh, what's the use? Well, and I think that's a biggest part of the biggest part of your ministry, Larry, is is, is to keep giving us hope that things are being done and, and prog- some progress is being made. Um, I was going to ask you, what? I mean, other than African leadership, so what are your two other top two favorite, most responsible? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to stretch it and say three that there, there are two, because we have three partners and Mm -hmm. uh, it's really because of the efficiency of these organizations on the ground. And the first one is Samaritan's Purse. Mm -hmm. I've worked with them for 20 years. My first trip to Africa was with Franklin Graham. I've just been in touch with them. They spent over $5 million last year in medical, primarily relief and food distribution in Darfur. They do a great job. Oh, just in Darfur. Just wow. in Darfur. That's great news. And they also use our pastor training curriculum mm-hmm. to train church leaders as they go. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, an organization down in Alabama called Makeway Partners. And uh, you can go to their website. It's makewaypartners.org. Uh, and they are in partnership with us building a, an orphanage for 400 children who've lost both their parents because of the war. Mm. It's just about 50 miles south of Darfur. And thank the Lord, we've already got the money for the girls' dorm, 200 girls. That'll be opening probably next month. Mm-hmm. And we're still raising money for the second for to take in 200 young men. 
And the third one is called Persecution Project. It's out of Washington, D.C. And mm-hmm. uh, the persecutionproject.org uh, is where you can get great reports about what's going on in all of Africa. They work primarily in Sudan and Angola, the two hardest places, in my opinion, to work. And that's who we fund to send in plane loads of relief supplies into refugee camps. Mm-hmm. And that's really what keeps me encouraged because I've been on the on those flights this village called Yach, it's a refugee camp that had 2,000 people in it the first time I went two years ago, now has 60,000 people. Wow. But the reason is because we've been able to drill a couple of dozen wells. So it brings people to the water. That's right. Yeah. It brings them to the water and brings mm. them to the living water, too. Yeah. There are Christians yeah. there and an opportunity to really evangelize. Mm. You, you've given us the big picture. Let's make it personal. Uh, introduce us to an, a young African leader that you have great hope for. Well, I just got good news this morning that uh, uh, Tito Abaha is going to be coming here to Nashville next month. Mm-hmm. We've been trying for two years to get him here, and Tito is our national director for Sudan. And he is an example of what God's doing there, taking young people, bringing them into the body of Christ, and then giving them opportunities to be trained and to serve. So he's an evangelist, a he, discipler. What what is he? He, he is a, he directs our work, and he but his background. He's been to Bible school. He was in the military before that, and he's also got some technical training. But he's overseeing some of the relief efforts in Darfur. But he's also working with the local churches in Darfur. Probably ninety five percent of the people are Muslims, but he's been able to identify churches. There's one in this little village of Yach where he's identified twenty men who are the local church leaders but have never had any training. He stays there three weeks at a time and takes them through this kind of leadership training. I just think it's helpful to put a face on this need that we talk about here with Larry quite often, Mike, and sure appreciate that, Larry. We're going to run out of time here before we go much further, but I do want to mention again the website, African Leadership's link can be found at Um, michaelcard.com. Larry, thanks for coming by again and updating us constantly here in the studio about the continent of Africa and God at work there. Michael is going to come sing a song for us here in the studio now, joined by John Ketchings on cello, and then Dr. Calvin Seerveld will be with us here on the line. The song is called My Help. Michael Card. Nor will he sleep 
Michael, I'm delighted to say that our guest again today is with us previously is Dr. Calvin Seerveld, someone yes. I know you look up to a great deal. Absolutely. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Seerveld. It's good to be here. Thank you for spending some uh, some time with us. All right. This good man is Professor Emeritus of Philosophical Aesthetics at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto, of all places. Yes. You met only recently, though. Yeah, we, we had corresponded for a while, and I had read everything, you know, that, that uh, Calvin had written. And, and I think my, one of the greatest tributes I can give is to say that um, Dr. Searville never tells you what to think, but he teaches you how to think. Mm. And uh, you've, had a, you've had such a wonderful impact on my life, uh, and I just want to thank you uh, for, for your, uh, your faithfulness uh, over, over so many years. We're going to talk about a specific book that you've written called Voicing God's Psalms. And, and Michael, you've been waving your copy in front of me saying you've got to read yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is an example of, of some of Dr. Searrell's work in, in listening to the Psalms and, and translating them himself and, and uh, versifying them and then applying them in, in the context of worship. How can we use these in worship? And, and we do. We want to talk about that book. I wanted to start, though, uh, and, and ask you to tell us um, you, you were— off, off, uh, Mike. You were sh- sharing an experience just this last Sunday, uh, where where you were actually doing just this in in uh, in your local church. Yeah, this uh, our local congregation in Toronto, uh, Christian Reformed Church in Willowdale, has had many sudden deaths. In fact, one of my younger colleagues died recently, and mm. I've left many you know women widows, mm. as well as some of the. Uh, women without, I mean, some of the men without uh, a wife. And to try to um, be a ministry to them in our session for confessing our sin and receiving the Lord's assurance of our forgiveness, I wanted to have a song, a melody that would reach and comfort these people. And I went all the way back to a Gregorian chant. Wow. which um, it's very short. It's it's uh, it's probably from about a thousand A.D. And I translated the Latin and had one of our good parishioners, who's a trained singer, to sing it, and then follow it up with a Genevan tune, mm-hmm. uh, Genevan Fifty One, which is a wonderful sad Phrygian melody that then also could uh, pick up the the character of the problem mm-hmm. and and voice it. Not only in words, but in a melody that really carries it. Now, was it played on a recorder like most of the melodies on your uh, the CD mm-hmm. in the book? No. What I really like is for somebody without a mic mm-hmm. to sing it a cappella. Mm-hmm. And then it comes through with a kind of a power of the natural human voice mm-hmm. in, a, you know, in an enclosure which is small enough and large enough to be uh, heard. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the text of, that I translated from the Latin is this. Although enemies which includes death, I think. Although enemies force us to face painful suffering, God is still taking our pulse. Hmm. Like fine gold, God is refining the dross from our lives, welcoming us back home as pure burnt offerings. It's very short, but Hmm. uh, it's got the word holocaust in it, as pure burnt offerings. And so this was a way to try to say, Lord, you know, when you really come after us, we trust you through death, you know, as Psalm 23 would talk about it, Mm -hmm. uh, please be gentle with us and with those who are remaining. Mm. So this is the the kind of uh, way in which a melody then, I thought, 
which is not so easy to sing, although the Geneva 51 melody has both suffering and reassurance in it, I think. I think that was the strength of some of the Reformation melodies. This is by Louis Bourgeois. Mm-hmm. And that his Geneva 51 tune, melody, carries the hurt and the, still the assurance that the Lord's going to come through. Mm. So that was a way, because so many melodies today don't seem to have the grit, it seems to me, yeah. that one needs to really lament and to get the psalmodic character of the fact that you can holler at God in faith, as Job did, mm-hmm. and then the Lord will come through. I, I don't think there's an, an awareness anymore that, that the mu- music has to be an appropriate vehicle and really subservient to the lyric to carry it along right. in an appropriate exactly. way. Yeah, that's why the question I want to talk with Michael about sometime is, you know, how can laments become popular? Mm-hmm. If how is that possible? <laughs> Uh, and see, when I've taken a course at York University on how to write pop songs, you know, yeah. the poor professor I had told me there's a formula and you can learn it. Sure. You've got to catch them, you know, in the first 30 seconds or you don't have them. That's right. Uh, What's the hook? And, that's what they say. That's right, exactly. Yeah. And with that, but see, that formula is not the way one can lament, I think. That's no. the art of the jingle, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in your book, Voicing God's Psalms, uh, so you have um, paraphrased the Psalms? What have you done, Calvin? Well, I uh, I argued with um, the editor. It's not a paraphrase. I mean, I think uh, Eugene Peterson does wonderful paraphrases. But I, I, I would want to claim mine are translations, okay. which are the way Luther said you ought to do it. Put it in the idiom of the people, especially of young people, you know, the current idiom, so that they will God speak and then tremble and believe. So I try to use language that would, you know, reach a teenager, but it's still very close to what the Scriptures say. I think we've perfumed the Scriptures too much, (laughs) and especially the Old Testament Psalms, you know, they're gutsy. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would like to try to catch. Uh, So I said once, uh, you have to also translate the silences. And I've just been working on Psalm 87, which is not a lament, but Mm -hmm. there's a couple silas in it. And uh, I'm beginning to see that the sila, the pauses in a psalm, are really uh, of different sorts, so to Mm -hmm. speak. Maybe one is, you better be quiet, take a deep breath. And another one is the sea laws just saying, wow, is mm. that so? Wow. <laughs> so you've got to translate the silences yeah, Michael the just did it. as well. Michael yeah. just said, wow. Well, you know, you know why people, <laughs> Calvin, you know why people don't like silence? It says too much. That's right. It no, says too much. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I just w- wanted to say, Wayne, what you need to know about Calvin is he considers Bible translation his hobby. Oh, Okay. Right. So very serious That tells language. me the level which we're dealing yes, here. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. I had a, I had a question yep. for you. I had a question for you about Psalm ninety-one, which you also treat in the book. Right. Um, when I, I was walking with William Lane uh, in, as he was dying, and this was his favorite psalm. Right. Uh, he he had it read at his funeral, and I attended a couple of funerals with him where he was asked to speak just weeks before he himself died, and he and he would read Psalm ninety-one, and I never completely understood how he connected with it, because you, you know the psalm talks about, I'm not going to be afraid of this, and nothing's going to touch me, and, and it's, it seemed to me like death was certainly touching him. Yeah, well, I once talked with someone who was also to die soon, and I was with someone else, 
and he said, told the other person, yeah, soon I'm going to be 100%. And mm-hmm. the fellow had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> but he was meaning, you know, past death, I'm going to be whole again, and the mm-hmm. cancer is not going to get me. Mm-hmm. So that the death does not get you, even though it strikes you, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And in, in Psalm 91, of course, the last three verses are really God's voice itself ends the psalm and says, you know, I will let him and her live peacefully on and on because I shall let them see my salvation. So that's tough sometimes, especially if it's your loved one that is going through the process of dying. I mean, I think we can lament about dying, Mm -hmm. but I'm just wondering lately whether maybe the church should indeed give a blessing to those just before they die. Mm -hmm. Uh, We recently, uh, my younger colleague that died, we went to have a communion service with him in 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 the hospital before he died. And, you know, it's just terribly moving and reassuring, both for the one who is in trouble and for those who stand by and don't seem to be able to help. Yes. Mm. And that's what I think the Psalm 91 does, too. Mm. I can't wait to get a copy of Voicing God's Psalms and read it for myself and find out what you're talking about. And our our time, once again, sadly, is, is closing in on us here. But I wonder, if Calvin, would you mind reading your Psalm 13 for us? Okay, surely. Um, this Psalm 13... Uh, really ask God, how long are you going to forget me? And must I always second guess whether you hear me with an answer? Keep reassuring me of your enduring love, O Lord. So this is the psalm, a psalm of David for the attention of the choir director. How long, Lord God? How long will you keep on forgetting me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I always be second-guessing such things deep inside myself and have worrisome pain in my gut all day long? How long will my enemy have me in its triumphant power? Take a good look, O Lord, my God. Please hear me with an answer. Keep my eyes bright with life, lest death itself put me to sleep. And my enemies roll in the aisles when they see me about to break down. But I still sense I am safe in your covenantal love. My deepest heart rejoices in your always coming through to the rescue. I will sing out to the Lord. Yes, the Lord has always helped me grow more sure of God's enduring love. Psalm 13 from Voicing God's Psalms. Dr. Sievrell, thank you once again uh, for spending some time with us and opening the Psalms for us. Thank you very much.
Search Me, a song from Psalm 139. We're so glad you've been with us for this classic Mole Inn studio session. What a powerful time hearing from the late Larry Crabb talk about the Papa Prayer. Larry Warren with Leadership International and Dr. Calvin Seerveld on Voicing God's Psalms. Links to all these resources can be found on our podcast program page at michaelcard.com. We hope you'll share your reactions to this hour. Post a comment on Michael Card Music's Facebook page or share the link to what you've discovered on your favorite social media platform. We're glad for the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible. Visit csbible.com to learn more about the great Bible editions that can aid in your personal growth as you get serious with God's Word. This month, we're featuring the Disciples' Study Bible. This Bible edition will not only be a helpful guide to unlock the meaning of the Scriptures, but it will provide tools to direct your growth as a disciple. Find a daily reading plan, maps, study notes focused on discipleship issues, and spaces to record your growth as you learn to follow Jesus. Search for the Disciples Study Bible. When you order, use the promotion code in the studio, typed with no spaces, to receive your 30% discount on CSB purchases through Lifeway. The Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com. And we hope you'll join us next week for the release of a new podcast edition. And now for all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for joining us for this session in the studio with Michael Carr.